You're listening to the Fueled by the Outdoors podcast, presented by Blackgate Hunting Products. If you like what you hear, please be sure to subscribe, tell us what you think in the comments section, and leave us a review. I just hammered a good one. Drop the Asher. Never seen that deer before. It's a tough pill to swallow after having that deer at 18 yards. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. I'm your host, Chris Leppert, and today we couldn't be joined by Rick because he's at home sleepy sleeping. Nah, he he couldn't make it over tonight, so um, tonight I've got a very special guest in Eric Grippa. He is a member of our film team, and uh, I'm going to have him actually um, tell you guys a little bit about himself and uh, all of his credentials, so just Kind of introduce yourself, if you would. Sure. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, my name, as Chris said, is Eric Rippa. Um, I've been on the on the uh, field team. Um, I'm a high school science teacher. Um, teach zoology and human anatomy and physiology. Um, I'm in the middle of my 28th year uh, in education, which, as we joke around on the team, I am the elder member, I believe, of the team. Uh, this is actually my second time on the on the podcast. I don't have Josh Fox, Josh Lux numbers, but uh, but uh, this will be my second time on. And um, I have been hunting since I was I, I passed my hunter safety course when I was eleven, and I've been hunting uh, since I was in sixth grade at eleven years old, and I've been bow hunting. Uh, I started my first year when I was 21, and so just a few weeks ago, I put the put the bow and wrapped up my 30th year, uh, my 30th bow hunting, deer hunting season. Wow. So wow. I've been doing it a while. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm, I think this was like my 21st or something like that, but you, you got started into bow hunting a little later, didn't you? Yeah. Because it wasn't, like, really bow hunting wasn't super big. When I was a kid, um, deer were still, the population was pretty low. Yeah. Uh, they, they were nowhere near as many as there are today. Hmm. So bow hunting and, and bow hunting especially, but just deer hunting in general just wasn't as big uh, as it was. Uh, when I, my father was into upland game rabbits we had beagles and we hunted rabbits sure and uh, that's where i cut my teeth as it were as a outdoorsman and then uh, when i was a young man i was sitting i believe i was at a wedding reception and a buddy of mine was talking about this rather large buck that he had shot with his bow and i had played around with a bow when i was a kid and really liked the whole aspect of arrow flinging and archery and the whole thing. And then, uh, then when we started hunting rabbits, you know, clearly I didn't bow hunt rabbits behind dogs. You know, I grabbed a shotgun and kind of got away from the archery thing, but was always intrigued by it. And when I sat and heard him tell that story about shooting that buck with his bow, I was just totally captivated by the whole story. And I thought, you know, rabbits had, our, our dogs had gotten old and died and, and we didn't really rabbit hunt it much anymore. And I thought, this is where, this is what I'm going to, I'm going to channel all of that. Where I used to 
rabbit hunt an upland game um, and we weren't because we weren't doing it anymore I kind of had that empty niche sure. to fill and uh, and I, I looked at him and I said hey if I get a bow you know will you give me some pointers and whatnot and and uh, he said yeah absolutely and so I picked up a used bow and uh, called him up and I said hey I got a bow you know you want to kind of walk me through what I need to do to get started and that was that was the beginning of it and I've been I've been at it ever since Heck yeah, man. That's, it's funny to hear you say something about basically everybody in your age group generation cut their teeth around here on upland game, small game, squirrels, rabbits, pheasants, quail, grouse, the, the elusive quail and grouse that basically barely exist in Ohio anymore. Um, I think, you know, you had more CRP and fence rows and cedars and just a lot more spots for those animals to reproduce and hide. And now, you know, everybody's cutting down fence rows and um, just kind of destroying all the land, if you will. And, and so they run out of spots. And then, you know, everybody's, of course, infatuated with white-tailed deer now that we have I don't even know how many we have per square mile, but it's something crazy. Um, and we're actually a low population state. Well, I don't know what the per, you know, per square mile is. All I know is it is way more than what it was when I was a kid. Uh, you know, I can, I can remember uh, every summer hearing quail uh, on a regular basis, you know, Bob wow. White whistling to each other. And, uh, and I couldn't tell you the last time I heard that uh, that classic Bob White whistle. Uh, definitely that, and 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 part of it is as the as the deer population has increased, you know, they eat cover, and yes. and that reduces. Uh, I believe if you look at what happened in uh, Brown County, Indiana, um, they the deer there were basically tame. But people would hand feed those deer. And wow. you weren't allowed to hunt in that state park. And the population got so large that there was no greenery within five feet of the ground. And it destroyed so much habitat for not only your upland game, but other songbirds and any, anything that utilized that space. And so they actually opened up a deer season in that state park. To, to because they realized uh, that the habitat damage was reducing the biodiversity of that park. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, there's still certain spots here that I have permission where, in, and in Kentucky, where you can see a browse line. Yes. Where it looks like four or five feet high, the trees are like dead. Nothing. Yep. But it's it's not that they just they nibble everything. Uh, and then running trail cameras there, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I see this now. So Ohio, let's talk a little bit about Ohio real quick. So we have 361,000 hunters. Deer harvest per hunter is less than one. Um, average hunter hunts for 16 days. Uh, hunters per square mile is a little over eight, just under nine, actually. Um Public land deer harvested is just under 12,000. Deer population, how many deer do you think are estimated 
to be in the state of... If I remember correctly, it usually is somewhere around 250 to 280,000, something like that. 670,000. Um, and then... Huh, the harvest amount this year was... 184,468, which, you know, I know that fluctuates by, you know, five or 10,000 or whatever, yeah. sometimes more, but I think a lot of people don't put stock into like, um, basically, you know, opening day of gun season could be hot or windy and rainy and people don't take off or it's stuff like that. Crazy enough. I would never have guessed this. There are more deer taken with archery tackle in Ohio than with firearm. Well, okay. So 48% are archery, 45% are firearm, 6% are muzzleloader. So if you wanted to say that the boomstick takes it still, but it's a lot closer than I ever would have guessed. So this is the Spartan Forge app, and you can click on a state and literally get all the juicy deets, if you will. It's kind of convenient. I think Rick mentioned that uh, on a few podcasts ago, and when he said that, I thought, w w there's no way. There, I, that, that has changed uh, over the last few years, and I don't know if it's because Ohio is such a crossbow-friendly state. I think, I think that's a lot of it. Or... Well, I think a lot of people, so... Gun season is just dwindling away, and a lot of it is that gun hunters are finding that you can go buy a crossbow and, and yep. really have way more season. It's easier than archery. Um, and most people know, like, I'm super pro crossbow. Not so much because I think anybody should just use anything. I personally believe they should have their own season. Um, but... My theory is, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you should put in the work and everything. There's so many people that don't have time for that. And so if I force somebody to do that, you're basically forcing somebody to go make bad shots and wound deer. Yeah. And I know the learning curve with a crossbow is way less. The amount of mistakes you can make is way less. Do I think people are taking crazy shots with them? I'm sure plenty do. I've taken crazy shots with a bow that are way longer than most would ever shoot a crossbow. Um, I've made bad shots at 10 yards. It happens, so yep. I don't really, I don't really get caught up in that. But I don't, I don't either. The uh, I, I hunt. I'm fortunate enough. That I'm, I'm able to hunt right outside my house. Yeah. And I know one year I killed three deer within 100 to 125 yards of my back door, and the neighboring property behind me was hunted by a guy with a crossbow, and he didn't kill a thing. Yeah. So, so clearly him having a crossbow didn't give him an advantage. Sure. Um, when I first started, you know, when I was 21, 22, you know, I was, oh, that guy hunts with a crossbow, you know, and I looked sure. negatively upon him because of that. But as I have uh, matured over the years, um, I've decided that it, we owe it to the animal. It, I would much rather someone go out with a weapon that they are confident and proficient with and not wound deer as opposed to not, for whatever reason, not having the time, not having the place, uh, having, you know, take my brother, for example. My brother played college football. 
and beat his body to no end. And he's a he's in the a business where he works. You know, he's a lawn care landscaper, and his shoulders are fried, and he has trouble drawing his bow. So I said, just get a crossbow. Yep. You know, and and who cares? Just just hunt with a crossbow. You don't have to, you, you know, you, when you're supposed to be practicing in the summer, that's your busiest time. You're yeah. working most of the hours of the, the, the well-lit hours of the day. Sure. You know, you don't have that much time to practice in the preseason. I said, just get a crossbow. And, and he finally, when he went to go try to draw his bow and his shoulder just started screaming at him, uh, he finally broke down and hunted with a crossbow, and then after he did it, he said, yeah, uh, I'm not. He said, I may never draw this bow again. Dude. So, yeah, and it, and everybody is, is different. Everybody, there's, it's unique situations for everybody. And I, it's not my, not me to judge. Yeah, I'm, I will hunt with a compound until I can't anymore, because that's my weapon of choice. And that, I think that that's, we spend, we spend a whole lot of time defending ourselves against uh, others outside of the sport, why fight each other in within the sport? Yep, it's it's been interesting. Once I started running the Fueled by the Outdoors group, once the tracking dog thing exploded the last few years, yes. you can't imagine how many people message me each day asking if I know somebody with a dog. Mm-hmm. And it's archery season. And once the rut kicks in, I'll get 5, 10, 15 messages a day that I have to respond to people to, you know, hey, uh, yeah, this person or that, you know, whatever. Gun season rolled around this year, not a single message. Not a single message. Yet everybody downs gun hunting, and it's like, like you said, we got plenty of people in politics and, you know, all these animal rights activists freaking trying to shut us down, uh, social media trying to shut us down. I don't see what the big damn deal is. And furthermore, I could almost guarantee you that the people that are downing people who shoot crossbows, for example, probably suck with a bow. And you probably see if, if you got, if you hooked them up to a lie detector test, You'd hear about a bunch of wounded deer and everything, and um, just stupid stuff. And it, you know, I saw—I won't name names—but there's a group. They do like podcasts and whatnot, and uh, a guy on their team or whatever had shot a deer, claimed he made the best shot of his life, but did he backed out? And I'm like, well, you made the best shot of your life and backed out. Like, that's um. You must not make good shots or something. Like, what's what's going on? Well, they judged it by, apparently, by how far the deer went. Deer didn't go very far at all. But he backed out. Finds the deer the next day shredded. I mean shredded. I think I sent a picture to the group. Like, literally, there's just a little bit of meat on the ribs. Like, the hide's gone. The meat's gone off the whole deer. There's hair on the neck and head. That's it. And it's like a... 170 inch, you know what? It's a big deer. And not even going to put the guy down for, you know, not knowing, but clearly Homie didn't have a whole lot of experience because when you make a great shot on a deer, 
and it goes sub 100 yards or whatever, you know by you can pretty much know by the reaction of the animal, blood trailing it, how your arrow looks, and I know stuff happens. I've made shots where your arrow doesn't look like you double lung the deer, but you did, or you know whatever, because you you came in through the the diaphragm or something and it wiped it off or whatever. But um, maybe he could have used a crossbow. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. or or just been better. But I don't understand why everybody's got to whine and complain about what people are using. I could see if it was affecting the deer herd. It's not. We have all kinds of big deer here in Ohio, and there's all kinds of big deer almost in every state. Um, some better than others, obviously, but uh, people bitch and complain too much about what others are doing. And as long as it's legal and you're not, you know, because every law isn't ethical, in my opinion. So as uh, long as you're doing right by, you know, yourself and the animals and other hunters, like, not hurting anything. So leave people alone, you know. Um, but anyway... We kind of went down a rabbit hole there. Well, it, I think that's par for the course. You know, as one of these seven and a half listeners to the podcast, <laughs> I think going down the rabbit hole is almost a requirement for the. For the. It, it is. Yeah. Um, you so can't have a podcast with me without going at, going down at least right one. The thing is, is, you have to promise that you're going to listen to this because I can't be having you on here and going down to six and a half listeners. I guarantee you, I'll <laughs> listen to it. I might even listen to it twice. <laughs> um, so. Today, I've had this conversation with Grip. We call him Grip, by the way. We don't say Eric or Eric Grippa. We call him Grip. That's just how it goes. Everybody does. So I've talked to Grip, I don't know how many times, about the Hex clothing. Um, hate to really use names, but I don't really care. Um, they're the only clothing that I'm aware of that claims that... I think their claim to fame is that they block the electromagnetic field uh, around your body that you're producing, which you do produce that. Um, all living things do, correct? Yes. Okay, so... They have a nervous system. Okay. They're going to generate electricity. Yeah, so um, I spoke with Grip, and you know, cause I have my own thoughts, but I always like to stay open-minded and really pick things apart and make an informed decision for myself, because sometimes you can sound like a moron thinking you know some, something, and you don't know crap about what you're talking about. So, um, this clothing was originally invented for divers to protect them against sharks. So, I'm going to kind of turn grip loose, have him tell you about how all that works, because he is the anatomy and physiology guy and knows all these terms that I still can't remember. So I'm going to kind of let him explain that to you and then we'll kind of go from there. So there are um, a few animals who possess the ability to feel at close range to sense the electrical discharge generated by the nervous system and or the muscles firing, which also is done by an electric charge. Okay. What, what uh, would you call close range? Within feet. Okay. A few feet. So not like 20 yards. So if you've ever watched um, on Discovery Channel, you know, when they're, when they're bringing the, the great white up close and he 
first of all, they can't see where they bite because their mouth is below their jawline. Their eyes are up, you know, up close to the side and up towards the top. And they roll their eyes back. And they roll their eyes back. Uh, Some sharks have a protective membrane that they, that's that third eyelid that they cover their eye with. But the great white rolls his eyes back. So at that last moment, he uses his sense to um, sense the electrical discharge of the living thing he's trying to bite. And a lot of times you'll see him come up next to the boat and they'll start biting on the boat or the, you know, the, the motor or whatever on the back of the boat because the boat and the motor are also generating an electrical charge and it confuses <laughs> that sense. And they have a number, hundreds, thousands of pits along their snout. And those pits, here's the word that, we're talk- that you always uh, comment on. Uh, they're called the ampulla of Lorenzini. Automatophia. And they are able to pick up, and I believe, and I don't, I, there's probably some, I don't know if uh, some uh, PhD zoologist will listen to this or not, but it's something, it's a very low amount of electrical charge that they can sense. Wow. Um, so, so kind of similar to like a dog picking up. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking, I think it was, I think it was, you know, uh, a fraction of a volt. I don't know what wow. the, yeah, so very small. Um, because the, the electrical discharge put off by the nervous system is very small. Sure. And so sharks such as the hammerhead, for example, has an incredible surface area underneath that hammer-shaped head that they can sweep and actually find prey who are buried in the sand. Yep. Because they can feel, as they get close, they can feel their electricity. You got the hammerhead, and what's the other one that has a head similar to the hammerhead? Bonnethead. Bonnethead. Bonnethead shark. Uh, and so your sharks and your skates and your rays, which are your, your group of cartilaginous fish, they have a cartilaginous skeleton, they possess those uh, organs. And there are some other animals that possess them. Most of them are found in the water because water does such a, a better job of conducting sure. electricity. Sure. Um, the only, the only land animal that I've ever heard of that can sense electrical discharge from other living things is the spiny echidna of, uh, Australia, New Zealand area. It's uh, a monotreme, which is an egg laying mammal. They, they hunt worms and whatnot buried in the soil. And when they stick their snout into the soil, they can feel the electrical discharge of their prey down in the dirt, in the moist soil. Wow. Other than that, uh, I don't know of any other, in the limited amount of research, again, not, you know, I'm, I'm right. no PhD zoologist. I life's work doing this. But other than that, that's the only, now birds can sense the magnetic field to help them migrate. Sure. They can sense the, you know, the, of the, the earth and the North sure. Pole and the, the magnetic field on earth to Absolutely. help with migration. And uh, as far as sensing electricity, that's, that's it. So a suit that would hide you from a, a game species, for example. Not only sitting still, but also moving as they claim. Yes. Uh, a suit that is going to hide your electrical discharge from, say, a deer or a turkey is 
kind of pointless because they don't possess that ability to sense that electricity. Yeah. It would be the same thing. We all know that bats use echolocation. Sure. Right. And they're, they're able to emit a high pitched sound when it bounces off of things, they listen to the echo and that's how they find their prey at night. Uh, it would be the same thing as, as wearing a suit that's going to hide you, that's going to absorb sound waves so that the deer can't use its, or turkey can use its echolocation. I think you just came up with my next gimmick that I'm gonna to sell to people the, yes, with the, the island sonar. that they'll get. They'll get a free island. So um, when the deer grunts at you, this when the sound, it won't bounce off of you. <laughs> oh, we gotta do a skit on this uh, now. <laughs> so it, it's kind of the same thing. It, it, it's, it's a sense that some animals have, but deer and turkey do not. Yeah. So that's, it was, you know, if, if that's what they're, then they're, they're using that, in my opinion, they're using that as a selling point uh, that is based on uh, things that are not true. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I'm sure they're the only manufacturer of anything out there that has ever done that. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. We could name, yeah. we could make a huge list. Um, I, I just feel like, if you want to kind of change the industry or whatever, if you will, you want to help people. I feel terrible when people think that something's going to work. And you know what? If they make great clothing, cool, wear it. Yeah. If the clothing's comfortable or you think the camo's great or, you know, whatever. If it gives you confidence, cool. But I feel like it shouldn't be okay for somebody to claim something without actually being able to scientifically prove it. And you see, you know, the examples that they show is where a guy is clearly hunting a, you know, maybe it's not a tame turkey, but it's a turkey that's never been pressured in its life and it's locked in on decoys. Anybody who's ever turkey hunted knows that's the whole reason you use the decoy, not only to get them in close, they are locked in on those things and you can get away with things that you never could without the decoy. And you know, they'll have a guy on a commercial going like this. Well, put your suit on and let's go to public land. Let's, let's go over here across the street to the nameless place and, and let's go hunt some turkeys and let's see how many you kill with your, your clothing on. And uh, as a matter of fact, you don't even have to kill one. Let's go find a turkey and I want you to walk towards it and see how how close you can come. Yeah. Coat you in hex, and if you can get within 40 yards of that bird, I'll give you $1,000. Yeah. Like, not going to happen. So um, it, it's always interesting, too, because people say, well, I think animals just kind of have that sixth sense. Like, you know, when, when the deer just kind of leaves out of nowhere, and I'm like, I don't think you understand thermals and how that deer, how your scent actually works and, and flows through the air, uh, you know, via the thermals. And then, of course, when your scent hits limbs, leaves, other trees, it disperses in different ways. And I just think, uh, you know, a lot of times it can pull under you if there's not a good bird. The best way I can surmise that is for us to understand how good they use their nose, 
would be like them trying to understand how we speak English. I agree. That is, it is something that they, they can't imagine being able to, to vocalize and communicate your thoughts and feelings uh, the way we do as, yep. as in our species. We have no idea how they're, what it's like to have a nose you know, because and I one of the other podcasts where you uh, we had the dog trainer and he was talking about uh, yep. the dogs and their sense of yep. smell. So um, yes, and it was a was guy was very Phenomenal. interesting in what he about how the dog uh, and their nose works. And I was fortunate enough to talk to uh, one day at school. We had the dogs come in on a search oh, where they yeah. would do the campus wide search, and they would have to have witnesses. So as luck would have it, I was off. I was on my plan bell. Is this and in they, between you listening to that and now? No, no, this was years ago. Okay. This was years ago. And we were, I was amazed at watching those dogs work. And he, the uh, handler looked at me and said, the best way I can explain it, he said, you walk into McDonald's and when you smell McDonald's, you smell Big Mac. It's one aroma to you. To that dog, he smells every little thing that's on that Big Mac. He can tell you, he knows if that Big Mac has sesame seeds on the bun or not. Yep. He can tell you if this one has ketchup and this one does or doesn't. If this one's with or without onions. You know, and, and to be able to, not only do they have so many more olfactory neurons, but their brain is wired. Their, their olfactory lobe in their brain is wired to handle all of that information. Yep. Ours is not. Right. You know, now, we can see. Uh, we, we have a higher visual acuity than they do. So our, our optic lobe is, it handles more information because our eyes are better in, in that aspect, in visual acuity. Now, that's why... With visual acuity, that's why a deer can look up at you in a tree and not be able to pick you out. Yeah. Whereas if you or I are standing in that same spot and look up and see somebody, we can tell you what bow he's got, what yep. camouflage pattern he's yep. wearing. Yep. You know, we see. That's a good deer. way to put it. They don't. Yep. They don't. And they still, I still believe that they, their smell is better than we can see or taste or anything. Like it's just, yeah. it's so incredible how detailed it is and how sensitive it is. I think that guy talked about how they needed, I think, nine molecules yeah, to, uh, to identify a scent. Yeah, something outrageous. It's incredible. Um, but it's just always interesting because you've got, you know, suits that are supposed to hide that, yet yeah. you're breathing. And I think that's where people don't understand, like, how well they smell and when you realize your breath is your largest scent output like that's the largest of it you're constantly pushing that out um you know you're not laying a trail with it you're just blowing it everywhere so yeah um kind of puts a damper on things If you're anything like us, you love running trail cameras. Recently, we started using the new R4G and R4K by Blackgate Hunting Products, and I've got to tell you guys, they are sweet. 
The R4G is the new cellular camera loaded with features such as the ability to send pictures and videos straight to your mobile device, free HD downloads for both pics and videos, near real-time in-app setting updates, and no-glow IR technology. The R4K is a scouting camera that boasts side motion sensors that help you capture crystal clear 32 megapixel photos and 4K videos in center frame. With a maximum SD capacity of 512 gigabytes, that's right, 512 gigabytes, you'll have plenty of room to hold all those 4K videos and high resolution pictures. Blackgate supports this podcast, so we are asking you to support them. When you go to buy cameras, use the promo code FUELED to receive 10% off your order. That's FUELED, F-U-E-L-E-D, at blackgatehunting.com. Alrighty, so you said you just finished up your 30th season, so... Tell us a little bit how how that went. Give us a, a season breakdown, if you will. Well, uh, this was my first season um, in four, five years uh, not being a football coach. Ah. So that opened up some more time. And I, def- I can definitely say it made a difference. Um, I had a lot more opportunity... Uh, to go in October and there in the first of November than I had had in the past because of as a football. Um, this year was <laughs> this year was a roller coaster of successes and failures uh, for me. Um, probably the the biggest failure would be the the buck that I shot and lost uh, that I think you guys talked about on, I think it was, I don't think it was the last podcast. I think it was two podcasts ago where we, okay. you guys were talking about all of the trouble the team went through oh. there, that stretch and where the biggest heartache. And I think it, it was, it was there for a while. It was going to, it was a tie between me and I think Pierce with the one that was, yeah. yeah. So I don't know if that's the prize I want to win uh, you know, oh, dude, the most, it was crazy uh, because I think a lot of us were kind of afraid to draw our bow for a while. It we're was, like, do these things actually die still? Yeah. So, uh, what had happened, um, I hunted all of that, you know, that last weekend of September and all of October. And as far as the successes go there in October, one evening, um, I had a great encounter with a young up-and-comer eight-pointer. Oh, I was down on the ground. Um, as you know, one of the properties I hunt was devastated by the 2012 tornado, and there are very few trees left. And then what trees did survive, half of them were ash trees, so now they're all dead um, and lying on the, on the forest floor. So there's not a lot of trees for me to get in and the ground cover is very thick. So even if I do gain altitude, it's hard to see uh, very far. So I actually have more places on that property where I hunt on the ground. And after that tornado is when I started uh, using various ghillie suits and uh, a packable chair. I have a three-legged chair 
stool, but it has a back. Sure. It's a swivel chair with a, a small back to oh, it. Nice. It's nice and comfortable. Um, and uh, I started hunting on the ground, and I had a good encounter with a, a young eight-pointer that there's an old eight-pointer, and I wasn't sure if he was the young or the old one. And uh, after I got home and looked at the footage, I realized he was the young one, and I'm glad I did not shoot him. I took a pass on him, but I did have him at 19 yards on the ground and he walked walked past me and presented me I heard him op- I heard him work a scrape before I could see him so I knew there was a buck over there cuz I could hear him opening up the scrape and I got ready and it was getting darkish so I was a little worried about camera light sure and he stepped into the clear and I saw antlers and a fairly large body and I immediately thought, I don't know if that's the young one or the old one. Uh, so I let him go. And then as he passed and got out of my shooting lane, uh, a doe out in the field, way off, uh, probably 200 yards away from me, maybe even three, uh, was blowing, I think, at my truck. <laughs> she was upset that my truck was out on the edge of that field. And when he heard her blowing at my truck, he came back and presented me with another shot. And I passed on him again. Um, I think he's going to be a pretty good deer. He was probably, for an eight-pointer, he's probably pushing 130-ish, I guess. I mean, he's a handsome young eight. Yeah. Um, And then when I got home and looked, because I I used the trail camera as my second-angle cameraman, uh, I went and he walked right past that camera twice, <laughs> once heading north and once heading south. Uh, and I got a better look at him and I thought, okay, good. I, you know, I'm glad I let that go. So there's one of my successes. One of my failures, though, was right after Josh had shot his buck. Uh, it was Saturday, October 30th, and I was up in the stand. And it was, I can remember everybody especially on the group saying, oh, we got a front coming, it's going to rain. It's going to be rain in the, in the morning, and then when that rain passes through, it's going to be on, you know, be in the woods. And I said, okay. So I said, I, <laughs> I am. I remember that. I am going to be in the woods. And I went out to our family property, and I got in a stand that I had yet been in. Uh, I had not hunted this stand ever uh, in this spot. And it's in a, a good spot where... You know, the old farmers way back when would plant Osage, you know, the old hedge ball trees. Really? To make fence rows. Oh, fence rows. okay. And there's a spot where there's about a three-foot gap in this old hedge row, hedge, or Osage orange fence row. Sure. And they cross there all the time. So I was set up watching that crossing spot. And... Uh, had a doe come in right at daybreak and then had a little basket rack come right on through, passed on him. There was a younger fawn, probably a little button buck off that uh, milled through and then kind of left. And then so I kind of nestled in. It was raining that morning. I had my tree umbrella out. Nice. And uh, I had my bow hanging up on the on the rack, on the bow hanger. And I had just this year, I had switched arrow rests. And I... For years and years, I had hunted with a whisker biscuit. And uh, then I went to a drop away. And this year, Whisker Biscuit came out with that V 
the V force or the V. So instead of having the circle that the arrow is in, it's now a V. And one of the th one of the things that got me away from the whisker biscuit was that when the arrow is in that circle, it can ride right or left on the bottom of that circle, depending on a little bit of side pressure, a little bit of hand torque. And I just didn't like that inconsistency. Sure. As a as a target guy, you know, as a three D guy, Absolutely. that was one of those things that I, it just every now and then I'd have an unexplainable little little right, little left. And when I say little for me, you know, inch and a half left sure. Absolutely. at 30 yards, yep. you know, that, that bothers me. Ed. So, Same. <laughs> uh, so I thought this V would cradle the arrow better. And, uh, you know, I thought one of the advantages is the simplicity, no, no moving parts. You know, so I bought that rest and there were about, so that bow's hanging there in the rain. And there were probably three or four times that I looked up and I noticed that the arrow had somehow slipped through the bristles and was down in the bristles and not cradled in the V. And so I would reach up and lift it back up. I don't know if it was because the arrow was wet or if the bristles were wet and there was a combination of whatever it was, but I had shot this bow you know, I put the strings on in June and made sure that I shot it many times all throughout that whole summer, 3Ding. I still still made sure that I shot it and you know, broke the strings, broke the new cables in, shot that arrow, shot that arrow rest, uh, did the paper tuning. I sent the group one of the bullet holes that I shot with the bare yeah. shaft. I mean, it, the bow was shooting well. Yeah, and for and, the, those of you that don't, get it already grip is a very much accomplished target archer that does his own bow work um he knows what he's doing knows what he's talking about he's won one or two world championships uh one placed you... in the top three three times okay i've got a i've got a third place finished third in 09 uh one finished first in 2012 in mbr and fixed the the target pin class, yeah. the long range pin class. And um, in 18, I took second place okay. in 2018. And just this past summer, um, I won the uh, second leg. Was it the second of leg? The triple crown. Okay. Yeah. So, to kind of throw it out there for you guys, he's not just some schlep. This guy can shoot. I've shot with him, I've seen it myself. Dude can deal an arrow out there so i'll let you continue and so the bow was shooting well you know i was confident in the setup but for whatever reason that rainy day i kept you know and and the hours that i was sitting there i noticed that that arrow had drifted down into the bristles and so i would reach up and, and bump it back up into the v and then at about um my plan was to sit there at least until two o'clock and i got in there before daybreak and I was going to try to pull a, to me, which is virtually an all-day sit, um, about 11, quarter after 11, uh, 11.20-ish. Um, I turned and looked over my right shoulder, and I saw a, a very nice buck. Nice chocolate antlers. He's one of those where as soon as you lay eyes on him, you go, yep, that one's worth a tag. <laughs> and uh, he, he came in. He came down, he was parallel on that fence row that I was in. 
and that old hedge row, hedge ball row, and he went right behind me. I thought about trying to sneak an arrow through. I don't know if you remember, but this fall, we really didn't have a fall. Everything was still up and green really late into the year. And then everything turned orange, and within two weeks, it was all gone. Yep. You know, uh, there was still a lot of green, a lot of leaves, and I had a little volleyball-sized hole as he was kind of walking away from me. But I was very confident that he was going to pass me, get to that gap in that fence row, make a turn, and head on over to because I this is the cutoff, the choke point as they go to betting. And I was fairly certain that's where he was going to go. And sure enough, he turned, he got to that gap and he turned and he stepped right into my lane. Um, drew the bow back. And I distinctly remember, you know, because I was focused on him and not looking at my arrow, I distinctly remember hearing way more noise of that arrow coming across the bristles than I have ever heard the whole summer I was shooting the bow. And I can remember thinking, it was so loud, I thought he's gonna hear that. That's how loud it, it was, as it was, you can hear it on the camera. It actually, you can hear the arrow just hiss as it comes through. Oh, wow. So, unfortunately, I didn't glance down at the arrow to make sure that it was cradled where it needed to be. And the only thing that I can figure out happened um, because he was standing broadside at 11 yards, and I, you know, I'm 30 years of bow hunting. Uh, I've killed nearly 80 deer. And I, I, I'm fairly confident I know where to aim to hit them. Yeah. And at 11 yards, I'm pretty confident that I can get it right where I need it to be. And, you know, he, he, yes, I was excited. But I've shot a lot of arrows excited before. Yeah. You know, uh, whether it's 3D or killing any of the other deer that I've, that I've killed. And I've killed, I've been fortunate enough to have taken quite a few decent bucks uh, in the course of my career. So I knew where I wanted to hit him. And I settled that pin right behind that front leg. And I squeezed the shot off. And as soon as that bow went off, I was all, I was, I, he was a dead deer. Soon as the bow went off, I said, "Dead." I'm already thinking about the mount that I want. You know, <laughs> I, I it was. I just knew I was going to hear him crash. He's a dead deer, and then the arrow hit him, and then my whole world changed. Um, that arrow went low and f way right of where I was holding, and it hit him. As best as I can tell, it hit him right. If it didn't hit the head of his humerus. It hit the neck of his scapula. I mean, right at that shoulder joint, right where the 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 head of the humerus meets what's called the glenoid fossa, which is that articulating surface for the head of the humerus. There's a lot of bone there. Yeah. And that has to be that racquetball-sized spot on his shoulder. That's what I hit. Is that... Um... So did you go... Are you referring to the, like back elbowy spot that covers the heart or are you talking about forward of this that this is up forward of that okay. where the shoulder and... blade meets the leg bone oh that's where it hit him okay that's where it hit him Ooh. which was because i'm 11 11 yards so you know i wanted to come in a little high 
so that my eggs exit sure. wound, you know, to reach that, you, you know, get as much say, of the deer as you they could. They always say aim for your exit wound, right? Yep. So I knew that if I were if I were to hit him dead broadside at mid body, that I would probably, if I were lucky, I would catch the backside lung. Right. So you want to come in a little high, catch front side lung up top, drive on through and catch backside lung coming yep. out the other side. And if you're lucky, you, you clip the heart. You know? Yep. So uh, right there at that, what you know, the vital V, you know, because you've got your, your humorous angles forward and, your, and it makes that triangle. And if you come in um, on a 3D target, my favorite spot to hit them, to kill them is a forward 10. Sure. To me, that is the absolute lethalist spot to hit them. And that's what I shoot for. I don't shoot for 11s on real deer. You know, I shoot for 11s on the foam one, but on the real ones, I shoot for, uh, you know, a deer that's going from my left to right. I shoot for a three o'clock 10. And that's what I was shooting at. And I hit that shoulder and that arrow stopped abruptly. And there was a lot of arrows sticking out of his body. And he jumped about four feet in the air, reached up with his hind leg and broke that arrow off. And the crazy part is I still have not found the back end of that arrow. Wow. I have looked. The only thing I can figure is when he broke it off, it f snapped and flung who knows where. I can't find it. Still, and I've looked many times and I can't find it. So anyway, uh, it hit him. As soon as it hit him, I went, that's bad. That's, I, I just, something happened. I messed up. He ran off. Um, I sat totally still. Didn't do a thing. I just sat there and let my emotions run over. And after about five minutes after I, I shot him, I heard him cough twice. He didn't go far. He ran maybe 30, 35 yards and it immediately bed down as I found out later, bedded down, uh, <laughs> coughed. And I thought maybe I got, got in there, you know, and punctured the chest cavity a little bit. And now he's the chest cavity's filling up with air going to collapse his lungs. I, I got a shot. So I waited. And then I don't know if it was just my imagination running wild, but it was probably about half hour, 45 minutes after the cough. I thought I heard him go down. I thought I heard a crash. Now it could have been because his right front leg wasn't working all that well. He right. could have just tripped because let me tell you, it is thick, nasty, thick where he went trees laying down everywhere. I mean, uh, I know it's thick because I've walked many miles now looking for him over there. And it's just, it's, it's crazy thick where he went. So, um, I sat there for 90 minutes in the tree. I messaged the guys in the group, you know, I told them, Hey, have you ever heard a deer cough after you shot them? You know, I wanted your guys, well, you know, I was looking for, I was looking for positive words of encouragement. And, searching for hope. Yes, desperately. So after about 90 minutes, I got down, couldn't find the arrow. Uh, very little blood. Uh, and luckily, he, he was walking. I'd set my trail camera out on the little tripod as my backup cameraman. And he walked right towards that camera and that camera has great footage of the impact and him breaking the arrow off with his with his hind leg 
um, and he turns and offers a beautiful look at the wound on his shoulder as he ran in front of the camera. And that's when I knew that my shot was probably not lethal. Yep. Um, that still didn't stop me. I looked. I came back that afternoon, gave him probably four hours. Uh, came back that afternoon, went looking, found where he had bedded down, found a little bit of blood where he had bedded down, maybe 30 yards from where I shot him. Uh, and I looked, I crisscrossed through all that stuff. I went, I took what seemed to be the most obvious trail to get down to the creek, hoping I could find him in the creek. So I took that trail, went to the creek, and the whole time I'm just scanning back and forth. And in most of those places, I couldn't see 10 yards. It was so thick. Uh, stumbling over tree trunks, tree tops, just so much junk, dead ash laying all over the place. Got down the creek, went up and down the creek, a couple hundred yards, both directions. Never found him. Went back up, did it again, picked a different trail. Then I started doing circles in the thicket, as best I could tell the circle. Sure. You know, uh, looked and looked and looked. Came back the next day, uh, hunted that morning. Came back the next day around noon. Looked for a couple hours. Uh, I remember, and then, and then Josh found his <laughs> because of the buzzards. And I went to school on that Monday. Immediately left school, went back Monday afternoon, and I was looking for buzzards. Sure. Didn't see a buzzard one. And I was, I was a buzzard hunter that day. Didn't, didn't, couldn't find him. Uh, I think I went back a couple of days later, maybe on a, either Wednesday or a Thursday. Uh, I left school and went back and looked again. Nothing. I still can't find the arrow. I actually went looking for him last weekend. I went back and, and I figured with everything down, you know, everything sure. laying down, still nothing. Um, that was one of the failures. Another failure was on our first day of uh, Thanksgiving break, I climbed up into a tree and got into one of my stands and oh, yeah. hoisted up my pack and my bow. Uh, uh, the backpack I had, I was able to strap the bow to the back of the backpack, so it was coming up all in one. And I brought the pack up, and I'm holding on to the D-loop on the back of the backpack, and I fold the seat on my tree stand down, and I'm getting ready to put my pack on the seat so that I could take the bow off of the pack. And the next thing I know, I heard what sounded like a twig break, and I'm, I'm dangling at the end of my lifeline on my, on my safety harness. Dude. That the cables on that tree stand broke, and it trapdoored me. And I, I'm here to tell you, you could have said, we're going to pull the platform out from under. You hear people say, well, I'll just catch myself. You could have told me, we're going to drop the platform in the next 10 seconds. Be ready. There's no way. There's no way. It happens so fast. I went from setting my pack down to the rope caught me that fast. Damn. And and the funny part was, as soon as I caught to the end of my rope, I realized I had not let go of my backpack. I was still holding on to it. <laughs> Never even let it go. Didn't even have time to let it go. I was at the end of my uh, harness, the end of my rope. I had the lifeline. You know, so I hook up on the ground, climb all the way up. So I was tied in the moment I left the ground. And I was at the end of my, uh, the harness strap so fast that he didn't have time to let go of the backpack. 
And the funny thing that I look back on it, the funny part about it was as soon as I realized that my tree stand just dumped me, just, just went flat. The platform went flat against the tree. My first thought that went through my mind was, well, where am I going to hunt now? Yep. That was the first thing. <laughs> Not, oh, you just dodged a 50 caliber bullet. Yeah. You know? Then I started thinking, oh, that's, I'm probably 22 feet, 23 feet. And what was waiting on me down at the ground were, of course, a bunch of dead ash logs. Yep. That's what I would have landed on. At the best case scenario, I'm a paraplegic. Right. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's the worst case yeah, scenario. Yeah, that might be the worst. Maybe, maybe best case scenario is I die at the bottom of the tree. I don't know. I don't I'm going to say well. best case is that you walk away with bump and bruise, bumps and bruises. <sighs> but yeah, I don't know how you would, especially with little limbs, jagged limbs, stuff and like that. At my age yeah. and, you know, and my current density... Uh, I, I would like have hit that. the ground really hard. Density. I would have hit the ground really hard. Lots uh, of kilonewtons. So there. since this is you know radio and not TV, I'm a little heavy. You know, <laughs> I'm not the smallest person in the world. So I would have hit the. I would have hit with a lot of kinetic energy right <laughs> on the ground. And uh, you'd have been a heavy arrow. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I there would have been broken bones. There would have been broken bones. Um, so I. Then I realized after I had, so I just lowered my pack back down. Luckily, I was dangling really close to my climbing sticks. I just shimmied on over to the climbing sticks, reached up, loosened up the Proustic knot, and slid my way back down to the ground. Said a little thank you prayer when I got down back to the ground. Good Lord, thank you for letting Seriously? me defy the laws of, of uh, physics for just a moment. And then I realized that my left cheek right underneath my eye was really sore. And that's when I realized that when I fell and as I got to the end of my rope, I swung, I swung back towards the tree. The seat folded down, hit me right in the cheekbone. Mm. And cause it felt like I'd been sucker punched and that hurt for a few days. So I'm going to chalk that up as I will take that every time. Yeah. As opposed to the alternative, which would be to bend at the bottom of that tree. You weren't kidding, dude. Uh, so then, then you go get your saddle and you just saddle hunt from the seat. Yeah. <laughs> so there will be, uh, as, as you know, I'm, I'm, I did, uh, I do have a, the JX3 hybrid saddle. Yep. And I'm going to make a conscious effort to, when I say more comfortable, it, it is the most comfortable thing I've ever sat in. Uh, as wow. far as being up off the ground, uh, I will put it against my my big summit climber. Oh wow! And it's ten times better to carry in than that summit climber. Anything is that summit is great once you're up where you need to be yep. and you're in. But getting it in there and you know climbing with this not that bad, but getting it in and getting it out is just it's hard work on an old fat guy. Just wanted to take a second to tell you about all our other content. If you're on Facebook, head on over to the Field by the Outdoors Facebook page. We currently have over 18,000 members of 
people who love the outdoors, from the mobile hunter all the way to the hiking enthusiast. Come interact and talk all things outdoors with a robust community of people. Fan of product reviews, fishing, hunting videos? Go check out the Fueled by the Outdoors YouTube channel. If there's any topic or content you would like for us to cover, just send us a message. And if you like what you're seeing and hearing, then hit that join or subscribe button. We hope all our content fuels your passion for the outdoors. So it's hard work uh, on anybody. That was so. Then uh, about a week later, I killed a doe behind the house, uh, out of the killing crib. I hit her a little bit on the back end of that ten. I ended up double lunging her, but double lunging her back by the diaphragm. And um, you know, if you look at the anatomy of lung tissue, the blood vessels and the tubes, the your bronchial tubes and whatnot aren't quite as big and, uh, how should I put it? Not as big and important. I mean, they're important, but not as... It's not like being forward. Yes, yeah. Okay. So, it, so yeah, you double lung them. But also, the diaphragm is kind of a bowl shape, and so the lungs uh, have lobes. They have tips to them. And if you go right in front of the diaphragm, you're going through your cross-sectional shot of your lung is is much thinner. So you're not really catching as much lung as you think. Sure. And the bronchial tubes and the blood vessels are smaller diameter than the ones that are up front. So it's, yeah, it's a double lung, but it's not as good of a double lung to be forward of that 10 ring, uh, up by that vital V we were talking about earlier. Sure. And uh, not a lot of blood. Uh, watched where she went, and I found her the next morning. She didn't go far, but I got her the next morning. So that was a success, uh, especially based on the numbers you're talking about, the average number of deer per yeah. in Ohio. Yeah. You know, anytime you take one, it's a, it's a success. And then I had a few encounters with some other bucks. Um, had passed on an older but small seven-pointer behind the house, and then we found out that he got hurt later on in the year and uh, kind of, hindsight 2020 i wish i would have shot him now to save him the i i think he broke his pelvis because he was oh, not getting yeah. around very well um then uh on i believe it was during it was right before gun season that weekend before gun season um i was over at the other the property where the tree stand dumped me and i was on the ground because again this farm was hit by the tornado and I was watching an old logging road, and one of my target bucks stepped out. And instead of coming down the logging road, he was going to cross the logging road. And I've got a spot where I have one shooting lane out of the cover. Uh, and when I get in my one of my ghillie suits and get tucked in there, I'm pretty hard to see. Uh, but he crossed the road. I looked at him, and I went, that's one of the ones that's on my list for this farm uh he's a, he's he's a 10 pointer with a kind of an extra brow tine he has kind of three it's real small it's about two inches ahead of his one brow tine on his left side so i called him trey because he has the three brow yep. tines and i threw the binos on him he's probably mid to high 140s okay. probably um and i said yeah he's one of the ones and he stepped out and he started, I could tell he was going to cross the logging road and not, so he's about 
45, 50 yards up. So when I'm on the ground, I don't like to call because they come looking for you. Yeah. And when you're on the ground, you can't get away with much. So I like them to walk past me and have no idea that I'm there instead of coming down the road looking for me. So I try not to call, but I knew that he was headed to bedding and worst case scenario, he would have gotten in behind me and would have winded me. Best case scenario, he's gone and I don't get a shot at him. So I thought, okay, uh, I'm going to risk it. So I grabbed my grunt tube. I gave him two grunts and I got ready. And sure enough, here he comes. But as he's walking down the road, he's looking in to where he had heard those grunts. Just what I was trying to avoid. And he walked down and got two, three steps from being in the lane. And he's, he's eyeing me. He's looking at me. And you could see he was going, I don't know if that bush belongs. He was, and he, for, it was three and a half minutes, he stood in one spot. And looked at me. That sucks. And I am just sitting there. Just thinking. If you would just look away. And take three more steps. I would end this whole thing for all of us. You know that's all we need. (laughs) And he looked at me for three and a half minutes. And then he finally goes. "Eh, I don't. I don't don't know. I think I'm just going to go ahead and be. uh, Safe. And I'm going to turn around and walk away. And so that's what he did. Um, Never to return. So I, I, to me, on the ground, um, having him at 15 yards and almost sealing the deal on him, it's not very often that, number one, you know, most guys will tell you, a big mature buck, you're going to get one crack at him per season. So I got a crack at a good one at the end of October. I came really close to getting this guy. Um, a big mature buck. He was probably the best scoring buck on that property that I had intel on. Did you... Excuse me. Did you have any intel on that deer that you wounded? Did you know about uh, that deer I at all? Had, I have a few pictures of him now that I've gone back and look. I have a handful of pictures of him from last year. I'm okay. pretty sure it's him. Uh, as best I can tell, our 63 acres there our family property, as best as I can tell, it probably is that on the very outside of his home range. So it's not property that he regularly comes through, but he does come through sporadically. I tell Um, you what, October 28th through November 2nd, I'd have my butt in a tree on that property in that same spot next year. Oh, this year. I've already put it down on the calendar. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty Halloween weekend. Yeah, the last weekend of October. If I got the right wind, uh, I'm gonna be in that in that tree. Absolutely. Um, and I and I ran a camera on that spot the rest of the year on that crossing, and I have multiple bucks and does and coyotes and bobcats all using that crossing. Um. But not him. Not him. <laughs> no. I doubt he's good. Yeah. We could smite. I'm not coming back there Doesn't for a Doesn't take while. a moron, though, really. I mean, you shot him, so 
I wouldn't go back either. It's probably mental note, don't walk through that guy. Don't anymore. go to yeah. that guy. Isn't that the deer that you said like walked right by your e-bike? Yes, yeah. <laughs> Within probably, because I rode the bike almost right to the tree. And I carry a one of those camo netting tarps mm-hmm. that has the little leaves yep. cut. You what know. the army uses? Yes. And because when I first had the e-bike, the Rambo bike, I just rode it in, threw the kickstand down, got in the tree. I figured, that bike's camouflaged. You know, that'll be a fine. No. Big old doe comes in and goes, I don't know what that is, but I don't like it. Uh, you know, could probably see the big black round tires. You know. Sure. She didn't like it at all. So I thought, okay, I'll lay it down next time. I won't leave it standing up. And I laid it down. Nope. Next big old nanny boat came in. She <laughs> Dude, the like, nannies just ruined your life. She didn't like that either. So then, I, so then I said, I need a camo tarp for it. So I bought the camo tarp. And I rode the bike in, put the kickstand down, threw the tarp over the bike. They still didn't like it. So I, I laid the bike down, then covered it with the camo tarp. Now I'm gold. Now they walk right past it. Once, wow. When it's, you lower its profile, yep. you get down on the ground, lower its profile, lay that camo tarp over it, the netted tarp over it, they don't, they walk right past it. And that's what he did. I laid that bike down right on the edge of that fence row, threw the camo tarp over it, and he walked two yards, two yards, wow. within two yards of that bike, walked right past it. Now the wind, the wind was in my favor for that. You what know. wind did you have? Uh, it was kind of a, let me get my orientation. So it was blowing. So this, so it was kind of a coming out of the Southwest ish. Um, and it was, it was basically taking my scent towards bedding, but my goal, my plan was that I'm going to cut them off before they get there. And so that's, uh, that was where he was headed. That's where he was going. From and he came down that fence row, and made that right. So he was so the so the wind was taking the scent of me and the bike away from him when he came okay. past it. Um, then and then I, I hunted all season and passed on does. Uh, had a lot of great you know had a lot of deer around me. Saw a few more bucks. Uh, nothing real big. Saw deer, you know, saw deer pretty much every time I went. Um, and then uh, finally, I got went back out behind the house again. Got a snow day right towards the end of the season. And uh, went out and, and shot a doe behind the house and put it right in the vital V. And I was telling you today uh, on, the, on video, uh, you can hear her crash and it's eight seconds. From when Arrow hits her to you hear her crash, eight seconds. That's something I could get used to, man. This is the first year that I've got to watch. I shot three deer, and I watched all three of them fall. And yeah. I've never had a year like that, ever. And I could get used to it. Well, it's nice. I was amazed by that. Because I a lot of... I don't know if it's just I'm in areas that are more open or, or what, but the majority of the deer that I have shot run off about 40, 50 yards. And if they haven't fallen... They turn around and look, try to get a handle on the moment, and then you see them start to get that wobbly yeah, leg, the and wobble. down they go. So, the death wobble. Yeah, yeah I, 
I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was shot placement, dull broadheads, tiny broadheads, whatever it was, combination of all of that. One of the things I forgot to mention, okay. uh, going back to the, the buck that I shot and lost. So the whole thing about not putting the arrow where I wanted really bothered me. So I went home and I got a spray bottle and I sprayed my arrow and my, and the, the rest that whisker biscuit and I, and pushed the arrow down into the bristles the way I had been catching it and drew the bow. And when I did that, I, I said, I'm going to do this 10 times. I drew the bow perfectly level 10 times. Uh, eight, I think it was eight out of 10, as the arrow would come back, it would pop up into the V. But when I did it at a downward angle, only six of the 10 times did the arrow come out of the V. Wow. Yeah. So I said, hey, nine out of 10 isn't good enough. No. 80% of the time, you know, the 20% of the time it's going to happen at the worst possible, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and, and at a downward angle, for whatever reason, uh, it would not, and, and why it dropped down into the bristles, I, I don't know. But all I know is, as soon as I did that, I immediately unbolted that thing and went and grabbed one of my dropaways and yep. put it on there and, yep. and got that thing shooting. Oh, that's so depressing, dude. Yeah, that's so... I mean, it sounds like you had a hell of a season and just, you know, you had one Look, one little thing go wrong with the one yeah. buck. And then, of course, you had a some really, really crappy luck, kind of a almost an equipment failure, I would call it, really. Oh, yeah. Um, with that, that whisker biscuit. I've never been a fan of those things. But, they, well, I mean, they've been tried and true for a lot of people. Yeah, I've killed a lot of deer with the whisker yeah. biscuit, you know. So. Um, but, man, I... It sounds kind of similar to my seat. Like I, I had some encounters with some mature bucks as well, and just I did stupid stuff that didn't work out and passed the wrong damn deer and all that. But um, I mean, I'd be pretty pumped if I had a season like that still. I mean, oh yeah. I remember. I specifically remember your video message to us, where you were like, "I just shot a bleeping, bleeping stud,", stud. Yeah. and I was like. When Grip says that, that's he didn't say I shot a good one. I shot a nice buck. I was very adamant to talk about the size of this deer. And this then, must be a damn good deer. And as you know, I keep my cards close to the vest. You know, sure. I don't, I don't share a lot of uh, as we talked about the other night because of the tremendous buck that I hunted for two years in a row. Sure, and never got. And then every time I would talk. Hey, did you ever see that? Did you ever get that buck? Did you ever see that? I got tired of telling people no, that I never saw that deer, and who knows when you know, he up and disappeared on me. And I said, I'm not telling people about bucks anymore. That way I don't have to explain to them why I didn't kill him. Right. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he was, uh, he was a good one. I don't know uh, if he would have equated the eight-pointer of 2017. To, to me, yeah, he's an eight. Score-wise, you know, he was, I think he was 146. Yeah, that's a big, that, that was a big deer. But he he field-dressed over 200, I think it was 216 pounds. That's, that's huge. He's 20-inch inside spread, and his G2s are a foot long. And, you know, for an, to me... And he, he had rattle, chocolate horns, too, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. And rattled him in from about 250 yards God. off. 
and had him and brought him into 14 yards. Uh, to me, that was uh, he score wise. I don't think he there was a whole lot of difference between. I think this 10 this 10 was probably in the 150s. I would agree with uh, that. The but, beams, the width. Yeah. He had good tines. He's a good deer. No doubt. No doubt. Um, well, man, hopefully next year you get pictures of that dude or something or you're just out there like before and he shows up yeah. towards the end of October and you shoot a even bigger buck maybe with a drop tine on the opposite side due drop to the injury. Are, and Drop tines are cool. I'm always, yeah. always and a then, fan uh, of drop tines. You're like, hey, I, I shot this deer a year later and you find his little scar. You probably wouldn't even see it. It's amazing. I had a guy, guy sent me, uh, I think it was last night, sent me an Instagram message with a, uh, it was like a story or whatever. And this buck, pretty pretty good deer, had a broadhead hole like right behind the shoulder. Yeah. Looked a little low. Um, probably like if you split the uh, deer vertically into thirds, it was like just below that bottom third line. So, you know, down there towards the heart, but like probably didn't have a good angle if I'm guessing. Um, but things holding its antlers still now yeah. and has a hole in its cavity. And you're like, dude, how, how, how does that? They don't, they don't understand. They don't sit around and whine. They don't. About they, how bad yeah, they got it. They just, that hurt. You know, whereas we would go, oh my God, it could be my liver. Yeah, that we understand. They just, ow, that hurt. Oh well. Yeah, I might have to go get something to eat. I guess. <laughs> you know, it just they don't comprehend that that they've just been. They don't understand that they've been fatally wounded. They just, yep. they just go till they can't go. You know, it's just man. They don't think about it. So, any closing thoughts on your end? Um, wear your safety harness. For yeah. One. No crap. <laughs> Check your equipment, wear your yeah. safety harness. So uh, here shortly, I'm probably going to go to the hardware store and buy some chain right. and replace cables on some of my tree stands. Uh, I know I said I wanted to uh, to do the whole, the use my saddle, and I will, but there are a few places where, you know, in some of the cedar trees, for example, that I'm in, uh, that to me, the cedar tree just says you got to be in a stand. Sure. So there are a couple places where I will still use the stand. There are places at the other farm where I will still be on the ground yep. uh, in my ghillie suit, which is a whole other. You want to talk about exciting? I'll bet uh, when you have one uh, that wide nine pointer that I killed a few years ago was in that same spot where Trey almost met his demise okay and he ran i saw him coming down that tractor path and i shot him at 14 yards and from the ground from the ground oh dude and that was, yeah. was his name dante no no no. that was the eight pointer behind the house okay this was palmer right. palmer because nine pointer are you know uh i think i know what, i palmer. think i know what deer you're talking about now they're gonna have to be named burrow Oh yeah, definitely the next big nine pointer. Joe Burr. Burr. Uh, yeah, I, that's where I get. I do a lot of because Dante was a football player at West Claremont High School. Okay, was one of, was our quarterback, and he was number eight. 
and Dante behind the house. So, so he was he was All the right. big eight. So gotcha. we call him Dante. But yeah. All right. Yeah, I guess uh, from my end, we'll talk a little bit about the expo, uh, July 29th through 31st. Going to be a lot of opportunities for education for you guys, as well as myself and our whole team. Um, we've got guest speakers, including Greg Staggs, Jake Bush, Jacob Emery, and Aaron Ritter. Um, going to have raffles that I could only ever dream of seeing at any show, let alone have the honor of having at our own. Um, saddle sticks, platforms, steps, you name it. Uh, going to be a lot of demos and, and seminars and going to be a great time. So love to see everybody come out to that and support that, um, especially support our vendors because a lot of people are going to be traveling. Uh, I, I saw a guy the other day said he's coming from Mississippi, man. Um, we've got a saddle company coming up from Louisiana, Buzzard Roost Saddles. Nice. Um, so it's just really cool and humbling to see, um, you know, everybody kind of, taking hold of this thing, but, um, I'll, I'll kind of fill in for Rick and tell everybody to make sure you're getting a kid or, uh, you know, somebody who isn't fortunate enough to have somebody in their life to take them hunting or fishing, get them out there and get them hunting and fishing and, uh, make sure you're staying attached to those trees. Um, with that said, also coming up on shed hunting season. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I know you have never, I've heard you say in the podcast, you've never gone shed hunting and found a shed. This is true. So I think we're going to have to put an end to that. I would love that. Go out and and cover some ground. I, I, one of my goals for this year is to find an antler while trying to find an antler like not not like oh we're turkey hunting and i'm kind of looking hey what's that oh it's an antler yeah Yeah. like nothing like that that doesn't count still fun it's cool yeah but i want to go look for sheds and i because for me i want to put a piece of the puzzle together and and you know if that means that i'm with you on one of your farms or whatever and we put a piece together for a deer that you know cool but i think it'd be cool to go onto some public land as well and find some, especially deer that I'm hunting yeah. on public land. Cause and that, it's, a, it's also a great way to find other spots to hunt. Sure. Cause the trails are clearly visible, beat yep. down, yep. you know, with the ground freezing and thawing, they're real muddy and easy to see. Um, you know, I have found more spots over on, on that farm shed hunting than any other time of the year. I go, I'm sure. I got to remember this spot, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, you really get a beat on what they're doing in the late part of the year too. Absolutely. So we'll have to do that. We got fishing coming up. Mm-hmm. We got turkey season. And one of my other goals is to force Eric Grippa <laughs> to come with us on public land to turkey hunt, whether that's with a bow, shotgun, crossbow, whatever. Um, prefer a shotgun obviously but um you know whatever just because it's just a completely different experience sitting shooting a turkey with a bow is badass there's nobody can refute that it's cool especially when you have like multiple birds and you shoot one and nobody even like makes a sound they're just they just keep going on with life as to where you shoot one with a shotgun 
Yeah. And the majority of the time, they're going to freak out and leave, fly away, whatever. But when you hunt with somebody that can call and they work a bird into you, it the whole run and gun thing to me trumps sitting in a blind. And I think that's why, and everybody has their why, um, but for me, I enjoy turkey hunting because I don't have to sit still. Like, a, you know what I mean? Like I don't have to sit in one spot for six, eight hours, whatever it is, and wait for something to walk by. We can make something happen. So um, I think it'll be fun if we get out there and- uh, Well, we got definitely got to take the run out of run and gun. We need more of a We walk. can like steady walk. Walk. You, you know what we ought to do is, is go out and turkey scout some of the places you have and just check them yeah. out and, yeah. and see. I would imagine that- The family farm's got a fair amount. Does it? Yeah. Yeah. The only trouble you run into with private land is even if you have a hundred acres, when you're talking turkey hunting, that's just not a lot of property. One day they'll they'll be all over it. The next day, uh, right? You have no idea where right. They are. If if you can pattern those birds, then you're go golden for opening week or whatever. But like, man, you go out on public land, you can you can walk forever. And maybe sometimes you do run or jog or whatever. You know, you're hustling to try to get to a beat him to a spot to set up. But me, me and and Pierce, we've had days. God, I, I forget what we walked that day, me, him, and Luke went, but it was something like 11 miles or something. It was crazy. And, you know, you're side-hilling and uphilling and downhilling and crossing creeks and streams and all that, but it's fun. Um, so we'll we'll have to get out there and uh, also hit some fishing up because yeah. you're a kayak guy. Yes. I'm a kayak yeah. guy. We need to be kayak guys on a body of water together and go Sounds good. slam some crappie and maybe some smallmouth or something. So um, with that said, we really appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, keep in mind that anytime we release content, whether that be on YouTube or this podcast, the easiest thing you could ever do to support us is by simply just clicking the, the like and share button or subscribe button or throwing us a comment, making a request or whatever. Um, that really helps us out a lot. So thank you everybody to tuning in and thanks to our awesome guest here, Grip. Thank you, thank you for, uh, here. for coming on tonight and, and chatting with me. This has been Fueled by the Outdoors and I've been your host, Chris Leppert. And tonight I was joined by Eric Grippa. Thanks a lot and have a good night.